0: Good afternoon. You may be seated. Whoo! I'm excited. Are you excited this morning? You should be excited. You got an extra hour of sleep. Yes. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I'm just gonna say I'm just saying this. Uh, Daylight savings times and kids. Terrible combination. I don't know why we thought of it, but we did. So anyway, here we are. I am so excited to share with you this morning. I was uh, preparing last night and was looking at um, preaching out of Zechariah 3 or even from the life of Jonah and just felt like the Lord said, No, 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 we got to go to Luke 15, which has been one of our core passages as a church and as a movement, uh, one of the things that has really helped to shape us um, over the years. And so this afternoon, not morning, this afternoon. I'm so excited that we get to look once again at Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there. uh, Luke 15, we're going to set the stage and here is the stage. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. Um, you know what's funny is that I, I see here that in, socii- in this society, there's different classes of people, just like our society. <laughs> there's people who we say, oh yeah, they're welcome, oh, they're doing great, oh, they must be blessed by God. There's the general um, population, the general sinners, and then there's the special class of sinners. Right, because it says here the tax collectors and the sinners. So you have the regular class and then you have the tax collectors over there, the ones who colluded and who conspired with Rome to uh, oppress the people of God, the Jews. And so you, you have Jesus, who's surrounded by tax collectors and sinners and also Pharisees and scribes. The powerful class, the religious class, the ones who know what's up, the ones who are in good with God, the one who everyone looks to to be, um, to be taught about how to get close to God because they obviously know, they have their life together, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So in response to this, so Jesus knows what they're thinking and in response to this, Jesus tells them this parable and this parable is broken into three sections Um, I'm gonna summarize the first two sections for you and then we're gonna look at the third section. So the first section is there is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He loses one sheep, it goes off, and then he realizes and he goes, I have to go find the sheep. So even though he's probably tired from a long day of shepherding, he goes back out, finds the sheep, helplessly bleeding, most likely, and picks it up, puts it on his shoulder, and walks back home. And then he rejoices. He rejoices, and Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then Jesus continues and he says, and there's this woman who has 10 coins and she realizes she's lost one and so she lights a lamp, carefully sweeps her house until she finds it and when she finds it, she rejoices. She throws a party and invites her neighbors over saying rejoice with me for I found the coin I lost. And then Jesus says this, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And think about this. If there's joy before the angels of God, I've always read this like the angels are rejoicing. Right? How many of you have heard that whenever one sinner repents, the angels rejoice, they throw a party? But that's not not what scripture says. Scripture says that there's joy before the angels. That means that someone else is rejoicing. That means that someone else is is throwing a party. That means someone else is going, oh, my son, my daughter has come home. My son, my daughter has come home. Wow. And then Jesus comes to the third part of this parable. And I'd like to read it for you. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Now realize what's just happened. We've gone from 100 sheep to 10 coins to now two sons. The objects are getting increasingly more valuable. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and he ran up and embraced him and kissed him. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends." And we read this and most likely we have some passing familiarity with this parable. You know, it's made our way into our uh, modern culture. We talk about how the prodigal son has come home, the prodigal son returns. And so we read this and we go, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that, so nice. I just feel so warm and fuzzy inside, like just full of love, it's amazing when actually the original listeners of this story would have been shocked, would have been angry. It would have stirred them. And so I'd like to point out to you some of the areas that if we were the original listeners, we would be shocked, but I need your help. Uh, Would you pretend with me that we are gathered around Jesus and Jesus is sharing this. For the first time ever, you are hearing this. And now, let me ask you this. If someone were to share some shocking news with you, what would your reaction be? What, What? right, really? Okay, so let's practice a little bit. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I'm gonna say something shocking, and I want you to give me your best shock reaction, all right? Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I am from Mars. Say it ain't so, John, no, what? Okay, that's good, but we could do better. If you're you're watching at home or you're listening to this, I want you, I need you as well, to give me your best shocked expressions, all right? On another one. Um, Are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, I would just like to announce to you that I have been promoted and I am now going to become the next pope. Right? I know, I know, shocking. Uh, Last one, give me your best reaction, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, I, not my wife, but I am pregnant. Good, okay. So so here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through the parable once again. And I'm gonna point different places out to you that the original listeners would be shocked. And you are going to, let's try that again. You are gonna be shocked for me. Can you help me? Can you be shocked? Okay, ham it up. The louder the better. Great. <laughs> challenge except, no, I'm just kidding. That wasn't a challenge. Not a challenge. OK. So remember this, this is now the third part of the parable coming out of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and after Jesus has just said, "There's joy in the presence of the angels. There's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents." And then he said, there was a man who had two sons and you would be shocked. I'm just kidding. That was a test. That was a test. You wouldn't be shocked at the fact he had two sons, but that was a test. But when I say he, you would be shocked, that's what you got to do. That's your key. All right. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And you would be shocked. I know, I know, it's shocking. And if you don't find this shocking, if your parents are alive, I would like you to pull out your phone right now, give them a call. We'll all listen, don't worry, we'll pause for you. And um, I'd like to hear the conversation when you say, give me my share of the inheritance. (laughs) I just like to listen in. Because in in our American culture, it's rude. Is dishonoring but in this middle eastern culture is downright shameful the son is dishonoring the family the son is telling the father i honor i want your stuff i don't care about our relationship and in middle eastern culture at this time it's all about the family you protect the family You hold the family honor. You don't do anything to bring shame or disgrace upon the family. Because if you do, your standing in society gets knocked down. You don't dare do anything that will bring shame upon the family in front of the village. And the son says, give me my share of the inheritance. And the father would have had every right. And this is probably what people are expecting because they've seen this happen the father would have every right to strike his son with an open hand and and continue striking him and literally beat him out of the house and beat him onto the streets because it is so, so, so disrespectful what he has just said. And then Jesus says, so he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took journey, and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And if you were shocked before, you would be flabbergasted at this point. You'd be shocked. Whoa! What? I know, I know. <laughs> younger son, what's going on? And here's why you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked not only that the dad didn't s- strike him, You'd be shocked that the dad actually did it. You'd be shocked that the dad would have gathered all his possessions, divided it into thirds because the older son got a double portion to help take care of the family, but he would have given a third of his uh, of his wealth to the younger son. And there and then it says that the younger son got together all he had and set off. And people's wealth in these days, they were not like they are like us today It's not in your checkbook. It's not in your bank account. It's not in how much stocks you have. It's certainly not in crypto. People's wealth today was what? It was in their land. It was in the animals. And it was the fact that God had brought our people, the chosen people of God, the Jews, God has taken us out of slavery and brought us into the promised land. He has given us this land. And so we hold on to the land and we pass the land on to our families and the land stays within family because God has that's how God has blessed us and that is how God is blessing us. And the son now gets a third of the estate. And how is he going to get together all he has and take it off? He's not going to drive the sheep everywhere. He's not going to take the cattle. There's no Craigslist. There's no eBay. There's no Facebook, what he has to do is he has to put everything up for sale. He has to put the blessing of God up for sale. The blessing of his family up for sale. And who's gonna buy it? It's gonna be all of the villagers, all of the townspeople, and you know what's just gone on? Every single person is going to know. Every single person's gonna know that all is not right in that family. The son is taking all of the private business, family business, and throwing it out for everyone to see. Why else, why on earth would he be selling a third of the estate? And you know what? He's gonna take pennies on the dollar for it. Because who's gonna pay full price when he's just trying to liquidate it quickly? But he does. He liquidates it. People are probably left wondering what the heck is going on in that family? Why would they do this? And it says that the son gets together everything he has and starts to, and he sets off. And he knows that once he sets off, he can most likely never come back to his people. And he can never come back to his people because. He has the wealth of his family, the wealth of the blessing of God, the wealth that God has blessed his family with and he's liquidated it and now he's taken it to spend on himself. And in the mindsets of the Jews at this point in time, one of the very worst things that you could do is to take the blessing of God that he has given to your people and squander it amongst the Gentiles. Squ- Give it away to the unclean. Give it away to the unfavored. To lose the blessing, the money, the symbol of God's blessing and favor and give it to the unclean people is the worst thing that you could do. And they even had a ceremony for someone who has transgressed the community really badly. What they would do is they would take a clay pot, they would fill it with burnt beans, burnt corn, And they would smash it at the foot of the person. And they would take it and smash it and say, you are cut off. Just like you have squandered that food, just like you have squandered that amongst the Gentiles, you're cut off from your people. And so the son knows as he leaves, that's what he faces. And so he goes off. And it says that there he he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. Literally joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and you would be shocked. Yeah, I know, right? Come on, younger son, what are you thinking? He's in with the pigs which is the worst of the worst of the most unclean animal to juice. Absolutely. And yet, he's at such a low point, and he's so hungry that he is willing to go feed pigs. And not just so hungry, what the pigs are eating starts to look appealing to him. Oh, have you ever been to a pig farm? You know what what pigs won't eat? Nothing. (laughs) They eat everything. It's terrible. And he's so hungry that it's starting to look appetizing to him. And he's there. And he comes to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he goes. And you would be shocked. I know, I know. Because you would remember in his, in the younger son's words here, you would hear echoes of Pharaoh's words. And you would know Pharaoh's words from the scriptures and from the rabbi's teachings. And Pharaoh, when he spoke to Moses, and he was obstinate and he was stubborn, he used this phrase I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. And Pharaoh didn't really repent. Pharaoh was just trying to use Moses. And here we see that the son, I think, he hasn't truly repented, he hasn't turned. He's still thinking about how he can get his father to take him back. He's still thinking, he's coming up with a plan and he thinks, my father, my father's wealthy still. My father has servants. Those servants get treated better than me. I will go back and the servants were not slaves. The servants were like apprentice, carpenters, craftsmen, tradesmen, artisans. And he thinks to himself, maybe, just maybe, my father will take pity on me and maybe he will apprentice me to one of his tradesmen. Because if you're a tradesman, you get paid. And his plan is maybe I can just get enough money back that I can buy my way back into the family, that I can give it to my father. Maybe I can earn enough back I know I've lost it. I know I can no longer be part of the family. I know that door's over. I know that season's done. But maybe, just maybe, my father will have enough compassion on me to let me be a hired servant. And he starts, he starts coming back and he's going home and I can just picture him. You know, you know when you need to speak to someone to reconcile something, you rehearse a heck of a lot. And it's like every, like, oh, maybe I'll say it this way. Oh, maybe he'll do this. Maybe I'll, and you just don't know how they're going to react. You don't know how they're going to respond. And so you're thinking, okay, well, if he comes at me like this, I'll say this. If he tries this, I'll do this. And he's come up with the plan. He is the man with the plan. And it says, he arose and came to his father. But, but while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And you can only see someone if you've been looking for them. You can only see someone if you know know that they're coming back. You can only see someone. And I want you to imagine this. What if you're the father? What if one of your kids has squandered your inheritance? What if one of your kids has insulted you publicly and one of one kids has shamed you publicly and you see them from a long way off? I mean, forget your kids. What if it's someone in the church body? What if someone has slandered you, said something wrong about you? What if someone's misunderstood you? How would you respond when you see them? You know what most of us do? We walk to the other side of the auditorium. We try to avoid them. And there's that awkward, you know where they are in the room at all times and they know where you are in the room at all times, but no one acknowledges it. And you just hope that it's gonna be okay. That's the scripture says that the father saw him while he was still a long way off. Then it says that literally the father was moved with compassion. And he ran to his son. And you would be shocked. Right? You would be shocked. You know why you'd be shocked? Because in this culture, you know who ran? Women ran. Children ran. You know who didn't run? Men, especially wealthy, elder men who are pillars of their community. They didn't run because to run means that you need to lift up the robes that you wear and you need to expose your legs and everyone sees and everyone points and everyone laughs because it's absolutely disrespectful. And the father sees his son coming from a long way off. And the father lifts up his robes and he starts running to his son. And the father's risking public humiliation to get to his son. Because just as the son knows, the father also knows that the son faces the kazaza. The son faces that ceremony. The father knows that if he doesn't get to his son first and the townspeople get to his son and the village gets to his son, they're gonna cut him off. And the father lifts up his robes and goes running to his son and throws his arms around him. And the father is public humiliation to welcome a son into the family. And the son looks at him and the son didn't expect this response. What do you say? What do you do? When love himself comes running at you in the midst of all your shame, in the midst of all your pain, when you know you don't deserve it, when you know you've lost it, when you know you no longer have a place and love himself comes running right at you, what do you do? And the son stands there And he goes, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And then he doesn't say another word because he knows no matter what he does, it will never be worthy of a reception that the Father just gave him. He could never earn that reception. And the Father sees him, and then the Father ignores him. (laughs) And the Father calls the service and he says, Quick, bring the robe. Bring the sandals, bring the ring, and kill the fattened calf. We're gonna have a feast. And as original hearers, you would be shocked. You'd be, I know, what's this father thinking? It's because the best robe in that family would have belonged to the father. And the father's clean robe comes around the dirty, stinky, pig poopy son. And comes and covers his shame and covers his dirt and covers the sick, covers all the grime. And then the father takes sandals and puts them on his son's feet. And the difference between servants and sons is that sons got footwear, servants didn't. And then the father takes the ring, most likely his own ring, and puts it on his son's finger. And that ring means that the son can go to any stall in the market and say, give me one of everything. How am I gonna pay? Here's the family seal. My family will pay. And it's like giving a credit back, credit card back to someone who's just frittered everything away. And the father could have stopped there. That would have been my son's back in the family. We're good but not this father. The father says, bring the fattened calf and we're gonna have a feast and celebrate. And the fattened calf, and these days, meat was rare. Meat was like a treat. The only thing that kept you on your feet was bread primarily. That's why Jesus says he is the bread of life, not the meat of life. Um, but the father says here, the fattened calf, kill it. And the fattened calf was something that was reserved and was big enough to feed an entire village. And it was for, used for like weddings, like huge times of rejoicing, huge times of celebration. And the father saying, I'm not just gonna welcome my son into my family, back into the family quietly, we're gonna do it publicly. Oh, we're gonna rejoice, we're gonna sing, we're gonna dance, so that no one in the village will ever have any inkling to accuse my son and speak badly about him. And now we're not talking about sin, we're not talking about failure, we're talking about redemption and restoration and the son being brought back in, not as a servant, but as a full-fledged member of the household. Oh, come on, that is really, really exciting. And the son comes in and they began to dance and party and celebrate. But the story doesn't end there, because there's another son. And it says that the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And that is how you know that there's some dancing going on when you can hear it out in the field. That's how you know there's some sort of celebrating going on because you could hear it out in the field and it's public and everyone knows the sun is back. But if you're the older brother, how do you feel? No one even came to get you, which probably shows you how the older brother related to those around him. He was probably judgmental, rude. No one could do it as well as he could. Or maybe he was just so busy all the time that he didn't have time for any friends. And he's coming in and his family's throwing a party. He has to call one of the servants over to find out what's happening. And he is so angry that he refuses to go in. And it's, and Jesus continues, and he says, his father came out to talk to him. And as first-time listeners, you would be shocked. I know, I know, I know. Why? Because remember, once again, this is all about the family. It's all about the family honor, the family culture, um, the family standing. And the father, who is a wealthy pillar in that community, has just thrown a humongous party for the entire village to come to. And you're the older brother coming in from the fields. And you know what you do? You suck it up. You walk in there, you put a smile on your face. <laughs> Hi, this is my excited face. I'm so thrilled my younger brother has come home from the dead. Can't wait to party. And people will come to you and they'll say, Oh, isn't this great? Isn't this great? You go, Yes. Bless his heart. He has returned to us. And then the next morning, you go, Dad, what are you thinking? Are you serious? He squandered your money, he squandered our money. He was rude. He dishonored you. And at that point, you figure it out, but you do it behind closed doors so that you're not spreading the family business all over the village. That's not what the son does. The son is so angry that he refuses to go in. And the father, once again, we're shocked at. Right, we're shocked. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Why? Because what other father would leave the party that he has just thrown to go find his son. The father, once again, the the older son has now also publicly insulted the father and the father would have every right to disown him, kick him out. But the father, once again, risks public humiliation, leaving the party that he's thrown to go find a lost son. And he comes out to his lost son, comes out to the older brother, and the older brother's so angry that he's downright disrespectful. He can't even say, father. He says, look, you, he's seething. I've done all this. I've spent all these years slaving for you, and you've never even given me so much as a young goat. Why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And the father looks at him and he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. And the father's right. All that is his has been given to the son. The son is also right. He said, I've never disobeyed you, father. I've never disobeyed you. And the father doesn't correct him. The son probably spent all his life trying to do everything perfectly for his father. But his heart is revealed he wasn't doing it for his father, he was doing it for himself. You never even gave me a young goat. He was using his good works to manipulate the father so he could receive the father's blessing. And the father responds in gentleness and says, you're always with me, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. And then the parable ends. And we're not sure what happens in the story. We're not sure what happens to the older brother. We're not even sure what happens to the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the people around Jesus. But as I look at this, I I see a lot of myself in the story. I see myself as both the younger brother and the older brother. I realize that there are areas that, if you look at the older brother, he's so busy doing what the father has asked him to do that he sometimes forgets about his relationship with the father. He's so busy trying to keep all the rules and do everything perfectly to get blessing for the father, he doesn't even realize that sometimes he wants the father not for a relationship with the father, but for the father stuff. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I find myself doing that. I find myself saying, God, you said this, so I'm gonna do it, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing it, and I'm doing it, and I'm, I haven't even turned to see if he's enjoying it. I haven't even turned to see, God, are you connected? Am I connected to you? Do I still value my relationship with you? Or do, I, or, or do I value what I can get from you? I think I'm serving you. But really, I'm serving myself. And sometimes there's nothing like success to unmask our heart and our mind. And we get angry when we, don't, when we cannot truly enjoy success. And when we do, we realize that we were doing it for ourselves. We weren't doing it for him. But then when I look at my life, I also see that I've been like the younger brother. I've failed. Some cases i feel failed miserably. I feel like I've blown it. I feel like I've lost it. I've failed, just like the younger brother. I've been rude, or I've been cold, or I've been, turned my back, or I have blown it. And if you're anything, well, not anything like me, uh, To be honest with you, a few few months ago, I had one of these moments. I know none of you who ever struggle with self-confidence has ever had one of these moments, but I had one of these moments. And um, I was doing some reflecting and looking back at what I should have done, I could have done, I would have done. I don't know if you've ever done that. And I realized, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have, I should have, I should have. And I got so discouraged, and so despondent, and so depressed. I was sitting in my living room, and Hendria, in our 10 years of marriage, has never seen me discouraged like this. Normally, I'm I'm like eternal optimist. Hey, God's going to work it out. We're on it. God's got us. And at this point, I feel like I was being crushed by the weight of my own perceived failures. Maybe that's you sometimes. Maybe you look back over your life, and you think about oh my gosh, my marriage, my job. I should have done this, I should have done that. I should have bought Bitcoin, oh. <laughs> I should have, I should have, I should have. And I'm sitting in this place and Andrea's properly concerned, like she's picking up a phone and she's thinking like, who should I call? Who, like, we need some help. And I'm, sit- and I'm sitting in this and all of a sudden This phrase that I've heard before, I don't know where, but I heard it. I felt like the Lord whispered it into my heart. And he just whispered to me and he said, John, don't let success go to your head, but don't let failure go to your heart. What happened is I was like that son and the love of God found me. The love of God came upon me and I went, oh God, I am your son. And because of that, I am successful. Only because of that I'm successful. Not because of what I've done or haven't done. Not because of what I'll do or what, I, or what I haven't or what I'll miss. I'm successful because you've called me and you found me. And all of a sudden it was like this weight fell off my shoulders. It was amazing. I came out of the, I came out of the bedroom and Andrea's like, okay, John, like, what are we going to do? And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm good. And she's like, what? John. You were just so depressed. You were just so, and I said, honey, the Lord spoke to me. And it was like the love of God came into my heart, like an anchor for my soul. And it completely reoriented my heart. And when the love of God comes into your heart, it will totally change you. So you're not defined by your successes or your failures. You're defined simply by his love. You're defined simply by his presence and the fact that he's called you and he's made you and he's chosen you. Amen. And when he, spoke to, when he spoke that to me, it was like failure couldn't touch me. But you know what else? Success couldn't touch me. It's enough that I'm not gonna be crushed by failure, but I'm not gonna be puffed up by success. And the love of God found me in that moment. And as we, as we read this, we're left with one question. Right? Because there's there's three parts to the parable there's the sheep, the coin, and the sun. And the first part, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. In the second part, the woman goes looking for the coin. But the question that should be at the front of our minds is this. In the third part, who goes looking for the sun? Who should have gone looking for the sun? Who was going to find the son and bring him home? And I think it should have been the older brother if he was truly connected to his father. He should have seen his father and seen the pain that was caused in the family, seen how the shame was thrown out upon the village and gone to his father and gone, Father, I'm going to go at great cost, at great expense to myself. I'm going to go and I'm going to find that idiot brother. I'm going to chain him up. I'm going to bring him home. I'm going to bring him home, back into the family. I'm going to go, I'm going to grab him. I'm going to pull him out of whatever pit he's in, whatever pigsty he's in. I'm going to grab him and I'm going to bring him home, back home to the family. And I want to let you know today that Jesus is described as our older brother in scripture. And Jesus saw you and Jesus saw me. And he turned to the father and he said, Father, I'm going to go not just at great cost, but at the very cost of my life, the very thing that we celebrated earlier this morning. Jesus came at the cost of his life to see you and see me and bring us back into family with the Father. So that from this day forward, if you have said yes to Jesus, you are brought into a family that will never turn their back on you. If you have said yes to Jesus, you never have to earn your place back into the family. If you, if you have said yes to Jesus, failure doesn't define you. Success doesn't define you. What defines you is that you're part of the family of God, and you, you have become partakers of the divine nature that is now coming into you. You are now part of his life, and his life, which is so powerfully working in you, through you, and out of you, in your workplace, in your family, in your school. That becomes the defining moment of your life, and no longer are you defined by your circumstances. You're defined by your relationship. Wow, come on. That is really good news this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. Wow, Jesus. Come on. I don't know about you, but I'm once again undone at the love of God. I'm once again undone at the fact that God would risk public humiliation to bring me into relationship with him. And I'd like you to be, just close your eyes and tell him. Say, God, I'm so grateful. God, I'm so thankful. God, I'm so thankful that success doesn't define my life. I'm so thankful that failure doesn't define my life. I'm so thankful that you define my life. And this morning, as I was praying, I felt like God wanted to come and wrap a thick blanket of his love around us, that his love will come and wrap around our hearts and wrap around our minds, and that the father's saying, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home, son, welcome home, daughter, welcome home. And if that's you, if maybe you relate with the younger brother, maybe you relate with the older brother, the father is welcoming you home. I'm gonna invite you, If you'd like to respond to that, I'd like you to step out of your seat and come up to the front. Step out of your seat and come up to the front because this morning, this afternoon, the love of God is going to wash over us afresh and anew. It's gonna bring freedom, freedom from fear and anxiety, freedom from perfectionism, He's gonna bring freedom to us as he re-centers us, as our hearts get recalibrated to his love. So with no shame, come on up. With no fear, come on up. Because the Father's house is open. The Father's arms are open and he is welcoming us and embracing us. He's embracing you. Father, I'm asking with all my heart that this, that today, that you would come and you would wash over us once again with your powerful, gentle, kind, unyielding love. And that your love would pour into our hearts and pour into our minds and pour into our souls. And we say, come Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who Jesus has given to us to shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. Would you come and would you make real to us, make known to us once again, right here, right now, today, that you are our Father and that we are your children. And that in your house, We don't need to perform, we don't need to strive. We don't need to try to earn our place. And I just hear the Lord saying that all striving comes off. Every area where you felt like you haven't measured up, every area where you felt like you haven't been good enough, the Father right now is coming and taking that off your shoulders. Wow. And in his place, he's putting his robe on you. He's putting his ring on you, his sandals on you. And he's celebrating and rejoicing over you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Have your way. Come Holy Spirit.